Hey, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you all for listening and welcome you to the funkiest podcast known to man. It's episode 90, and we're turning up the heat, so turn your stereo loud and take a seat because I got a couple people that I'd like for you to meet. We got W. Loop here, some man with proper style. Always rocking fresh shoes made of crocodile. When he hops on the mic, he's guaranteed to make you smile, but he don't got the yamaka because he's a Gentile. Unlike our next host, he's the man with the most. Always asking the tough questions, not afraid to roast. So catch him on the Twitter, man, he's at the Jew. Everybody calls him Steiny Man, but you already knew, right? Everything you need right here on Promoter 101. It's episode 90 with Luke and Steiny. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're home free. And we're on Promoter 101. Yes, that was an amazing intro, Connor. Wow, I'm speechless. But this is Promoter 101. It's episode 990. Holy shit, it's a holiday weekend. And we're bringing you the podcast in real time because we know you're bored off your ass and you can only handle so much family time. And we're your escape here at Promoter 101. How you doing, Luke? I'm doing fantastic, Dan. I am dragging ass a little bit today. It's a long holiday week. It seems like everybody really wanted to take this whole entire week off, which has been nice. But the pace is a, a little slow around here today. And I'm just kind of nursing this awful, awful hangover that I have from celebrating American independence yesterday. little Christmas in July, huh? A little Christmas in July indeed, man. Did you blow some shit up? I didn't buy any fireworks, but I was at a party where there were fireworks provided, which was pretty great. We actually didn't cause too much damage or put anybody really at any crazy risk, more so than you typically would with those kind of things. But uh, it was great. Excited to be here on the podcast here, episode 90 of Promoter 101. Dan, we got some big stuff coming up here. We're going to be joined later by ICM Partners' John Pleader, sharing a little insights to the Alice and Shane success. We've got Live Nation Belgians' Herman Shermans. I love that name. He's simply one of the biggest players in the world. Going to be dropping some knowledge. And we've got a war story from APA's Noel Largest. Plus, we're going to break down the news of the week. It's a slow news week, so it shouldn't take too long. But we've got a very full podcast. Really excited to bring it to you. So let's just jump into it. Get to it. Yo, this is Tommy Lee. Yeah, that's T. Lee. And you're listening to Promoter 101. Fucking turn this shit up, bitches. Do you want us to visit you in a very intimate setting? Me and Luke, you... And maybe your whole company for a retreat or your college, we can come speak. Whatever it is, we love an excuse to get on an airplane and get away from our desk. So shoot us a note and we'll do the podcast live right in front of your locker. It'll be great. Just let us know. And we've got some stuff coming up later this month, Dan. You're on the road a little bit. What's going on in Toronto? For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you've been hearing us plug this quite a little bit. But July 24th is just around the corner and it's IAVM's Venue Connect 2018, the promoter agent panel. I think this is the 23rd hundredth version of this given panel at this conference. But hey, we've got a great lineup. We're talking Brian Hill, Ralph James, Jason Zink, Charlie Goldstone, and The Rock, Riley O'Connor. Plus me, barely fitting in, but I'll be the Ringo of the crew. Sounds like a good time. I'm sure you can still get registered for that conference at IVM.org. If you want to tell us something, you can always reach out to us too. Hit us on email at steiny at promoter101.net. That'll go to both of us. Now we guarantee to respond to you if you hit us on that email, but not necessarily guarantee 
thinking you're going to like what we're going to say. Very true. Follow us on Twitter. Luke is W. Luke Pierce. I'm at the Jew. And the show is Promoter 101. That's plural. And hey, now, that's right. We're just Promoter 101 as well on Twitter. We've got them both. If you love the plural, drop the S. If you don't, leave it in there. Who gives a fuck? But we're both. It is up. I'm Ralph James from UTA, and you are listening to Promoter 101. If you've missed any of our past podcasts, well, hey, you're in luck. You can catch up now at Promoter101.net. That's right, Promoter101.net. It's every girl's best friend. This week, we've got a classic episode. <laughs> Shit. Episode 48 of Promoter 101. That's uh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 48 of Promoter 101, we had the legendary concert promoter, the man who did Dead East of the Mississippi, it's John Schur, sitting down talking with us in New York last year. The only bummer about that interview was at some point we stopped rolling tape and the stories kept getting better and better and better. And I think maybe we were in the room for another four hours after we stopped recording. But me and Luke know more about the Grateful Dead backstage stories than I think anyone that wasn't on that tour at this moment. And I'm sh- don't send your emails. I know some of you guys live for that shit. I'm just kidding. But we got a lot of good shit from Sharon. That was a fun, fun day. There was. There was probably three hours of stories kind of left on the floor in that one. So jam-packed interview. You should definitely check it out. Podcast also at High Roads, Brian Jonas, who talked about some of his current successes and a war story from the Trailer Park Boys. Plus, Dan and I caught up on the news of the week. Which won't be very current anymore. But hey, maybe you don't know what happened three or four months ago and you're like, what's up? What was going on then? That seemed really important then. That's a good lesson for our listeners out there, Dan, as you are a student of music business history. Understanding where we were at a moment in time can be an important thing, you know? Check it out. That's a nice way of you calling me a nerd, Luke. I appreciate that. I I do my best to sugarcoat that one for you. Hey everyone, this is Cindy Lynott, Kira Finkenberg, Patty Ann Tarleton, Whitney Bond, Amy Miller, John Holliday, Marcy Allen, Paula Palazzo, Becca Leifer, and you're listening to Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. And I'm on Promoter 101. News of the Week. Hey, it's time for News of the Week. Yes, it is. Kind of been a slow news week. It's the 4th of July holiday happening in the middle of the week this year. But it was a crazy week for Drake and basically anyone opening any streaming service last week. Drake's 25-track record Scorpion dropped last week. And as of Saturday morning, day one of its release, it had racked up more than 132 million streams on Spotify, which smashed U.S. and global records for day one on that platform. And then an Apple announced a day later that it had done 170 million streams of its own, which raised a few eyebrows, obviously, besting Spotify's totals. But it shouldn't come as any surprise. This album literally was everywhere. If you opened up a streaming service on that day, Drake and his music were overtly featured, especially on Spotify, so much so that after fielding a bunch of complaints from users who believe themselves to be spammed with all of the Drake ads on the front page, that Spotify offered refunds for a month's worth of premium subscription. He is kind of the nickelback of rap. Oh, wow. Shots fired. I will have to say I saw a meme with Lisa Simpson proposing that one on Facebook this week, so I can't take credit for it. But damn if those Canadians don't have that coming to them. (laughs) Is there extra tariffs on Nickelback and Drake music coming into America? I don't know. If the albums are made out of aluminum, maybe. See what the orange man does about that, huh? 
Yeah, trade wars of all levels. No, I think the ideas are pretty free-flowing between America and Canada when it comes to music right now, but some other things, eh, not so much. Live Nation has added it again. Those guys just keep writing checks left and right. Now, they've bought into Red Mountain Entertainment. I think Dave Brooks and me may have talked about this a little bit last week, but they're in the Southeast. They're now part of the Live Nation fold, and that'll bring those amphitheaters into the mix in Birmingham and Memphis and where all those guys do their festivals and stuff. So that'll definitely be running more power through the Wharf Amphitheater in Tuscaloosa Amphitheater and Brandon Amphitheater, right? Those are their exclusives. So they should really see some additional business like with the Live Nation machine behind them. Wouldn't you think, Luke? Absolutely. I mean, this is just going to increase Live Nation's footprint in the Southeast and throw in some capital at some of these uh, events, you know, that they're bringing in between Sloss and Beale Street and Wildflower. I mean, they've got a great portfolio of festivals in an area where Live Nation has been, you know, making investments. So smart move by Bob Brew. Not surprising that this one came through. Some other streaming news here. Tencent Music Entertainment is reportedly readying an application for an IPO in the U.S. this week, according to the Chinese website Sina. This is Tencent Music, of course, owns QQ Music, QO, and Kwagu in China, which are big digital music providers in a really growing streaming market. Unlike Spotify, sounds like Tencent is opting for an IPO with Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley said to be underwriting the deal. The conservative pricing being offered by these banks is somewhere between 29 and 31 billion, which is largely being benchmarked against the $29 billion market capitalization of Spotify as of the writing of this podcast. It's going to be a really good liquidity moment. A lot of people are going to get rich off this, including some other large institutional players like Spotify, Sony ATV, and EMI. The two publishers confirmed they have minority stakes in this. So obviously going to market and having an IPO is going to see some sort of payout. And Sony ATV announced its intention to return the proceeds of the profits in some share to their songwriters. Spotify and Tencent had a 9% swap last year. So Tencent took control of 9.1% of Spotify as part of a stock swap. Spotify took a non-controlling piece for 9% in Tencent. So a lot of people getting rich off this, Dan, no surprise there, but good to see these events happening in the music space, kind of indicating a increasingly growing market and appetite for recorded music, which has been something that we've been struggling with for a low point from 20 years ago. Well, maybe you've been struggling with that. I've been doing quite fine myself, Luke. And also I want to point out that Tencent spells their fucking company name T-E-N-C-E-N-T without a space. How can they be worth millions upon billions of dollars if they can't spell their fucking name correctly? It's two goddamn words. (laughs) I don't know. Thank God for stock symbols, T-M-E, because then everybody in the world would know these guys are fucking morons. So I'm guessing you're not buying when this comes to market. Yeah, keeping my money in a good investment that they call rock and roll. I invest in the artist, Luke. I'll probably buy up a piece. You know, we can talk about companies that spell their name wrong all day long being worth billions of dollars. But more importantly, something that hits close to home. Special report coming from Vegas. AC Entertainment's Ted Heinick is playing in the World Series of Poker right now. As of day one, he started with $50,000 in chips, which is what they give you. It's actually a $10,000 buy-in, but they give you $50,000 to play it. And then after 10 hours, he more than doubled. He's $113,300 in chips. Solid start for the first day. He'll be back at the tables Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Eastern representing the industry. And I know everybody's cheering him on. So you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram and at the World Series of Poker. That's WSOP for updates and get the chip counts and what have you. But I'm all team Ted all the way. We were on the floor yesterday rooting him on. And I'm really, really excited to see what happens for him at the Rio in Vegas because he could go all the way and come home with the bracelet. 
8.8 million to first this year, Dan. A lot of great music people playing in that event, also including uh, Scott Venner, who's the music supervisor for Entourage and How to Make It in America and Beverly Hills 90210. So obviously a player in the streaming world and has done stuff with Pharrell. Another great guy to, to keep in touch with. So a few people to root for this week at the World Series of Poker. I'm actually uh, sporting my brand new World Series of Poker swag today, a tee with a hoodie, and it's very thin. But I was excited to be on the floor yesterday. I'd never seen anything like it. Thousands upon thousands of players playing. And all of them, while they're playing, are playing with the chips. So you just hear in the background just the sounds of thousands of people shuffling chips in their hand and playing with it. And well, it's not that big of a deal when you're in your casino and there's like, you know, 50 people playing cards. When you add thousands of them all at once and that's the only thing happening in the room. Oh my God, it's insanely fucking loud. Also, mostly dudes, kind of a sausage fest. A little creepy, some of these guys, like wearing sweatpants and hoodies, like Unabomber style. It's just the unwashed masses unfolding big on this. So it was a weird vibe to say the least, but I put my money behind Team Ted thinking that he's smarter because he's at least showering. Good hygiene. We like Ted. Poker players do take a certain ilk, and especially uh, the people that have been there all month competing in all the tournaments that lead up to the main event of the World Series of Poker. I think there's like something like 38 other tournaments that happened before it, and, and there's one even that uh, starts for people to get eliminated from the 10K earlier this week. So if you're in Vegas, you got a second chance to play in there. Rooting for Ted. He's going to be on the podcast later next month, and you know he's going to have to talk about that. So we're going to hear all about the insight from playing with the best in the world, and hopefully we'll get to see uh, that bracelet. Absolutely. This is Bob Rue with Live Nation, and I'm on Promoter 101. It's everyone's favorite time, the announcement of the Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. This week, we are excited to announce Promoter 101's Baddest of the Week is going out to Live Nation's Leslie Olenek. She is so well-respected and just a boss, making her this week's Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. Big congrats to Leslie. Hey, this is Bobby Reynolds with AEG Presents in Las Vegas. I'm here with Dan on Promoter 101. In our feature interview this week, we sit down with ICM Partners' John Pleader, who's here to share insights into the successes of his clients, including Allison Chains. Hanging out with John Pleader. Welcome to the yeah, podcast. Steiny, it's so fucking good to see you, man. I love you, man. Oh, man, thank you so much. I'm thrilled that you're here. We've known each other for a very long time. You're having what I would say is a textbook career. Your career continues to grow and your acts get bigger, your grosses get bigger, your stature in the industry continues to grow. It's kind of the ideal career if you look over the last 25 years would you not agree that it's continued to grow in that kind of pattern? Yeah, thanks for the compliments. It's good because it's sustainable. And that's kind of why you do this is to create sustainability. You know, the guys who taught me were the best, right? So I look at them and I'm in awe of them. So if I can create some sustainability, build some businesses, hey, you know what? It's good for everyone. You are the part of ICM that is straight up rock and roll. I mean, Allison Chains is doing amazing business and they continue to do so. Yep. When you guys put the band back together with a new lead singer, was that a, is this going to work kind of thing? I mean, he's amazing. The voice is incredible and he's got it. Yeah. But there had to be a question in the back of everybody's head. Is this going to work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was singing with Jerry's solo thing for a little while leading up to the Alice thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, does it really work? You know, it's William, super good looking dude, African-American guy, Afro, like 
He's not trying to be lame either. He's doing his thing. It works. And, you know, he came from the punk rock scene of Atlanta and he cut his teeth and he moved out here. He was in an amazing band, Comes With The Fall, and he played lead guitar and vocals and Comes With The Fall. And, and he and Jerry hit a cool thing with Jerry's solo thing. And as the Alice thing morphed organically into those guys coming back together, it was sort of a natural thing to invite William. And you know what, man? You don't know if it worked till you go out there and try. And I hand it over to those guys. I tip my hat to those guys. No one knew, but you know what? It works. These guys are better than ever. They're an amazing live band and they're just hitting stride. Their new shit is fucking awesome. I mean, some of the songs off their new album that's coming in August, I told Bino, it could be some of the best shit I've heard him do. It's so fucking good. So I'm just proud of these guys. I saw them open up for Guns N' Roses at the stadium in Seattle, which had to be a unique show for them. Home market opening for a band, which I doubt they've done in Seattle in 30 years. Played the stadium, walked down to a fairly empty stadium and wound up filling in the concessions areas and the hallways and having people push in when they realized, because some of those Guns N' Roses shows, they didn't necessarily promote who was opening. In this particular case in Seattle, it's a band that's worth at least one night at key, if not a key and a half. I mean, not that Guns needed it because they sold the show, but people would have come early to see this band had they known they were going to be there. Man, I was stoked they got there early. That's a great bill, man. I mean, GNR, Alice in Chains, and Guns N' Roses had some awesome openers on that whole run, but yeah, our guys are super tight with Duff and Slash and, and Axel, but especially tight with Duff. Duff is like family. So we're stoked we got to do a handful of dates with them. We start off in Vegas and it's just a great night of rock. Great night of just hard fucking rock with a lot of hits. So, and I think I told you this after I saw the show. I thought they took guns that night. I thought they were a better band that night. Maybe it had to do with Seattle and they brought it. Maybe. But I thought without all of the production with playing in the mm-hmm. daylight, still thought they were a better band. And not discounting Guns N' Roses. I just thought in that particular day, Allison Chains played one of the best sales I've ever seen. Yeah, man. It's funny. In Vegas, when I saw the opener of that, people were coming up to me saying, fuck, man, they gave Guns a run. This band is just hitting stride live, man. They're just turned into an amazing live band and they put the work in. You have had a career that's had many business cards. You've gone from agency to agency. And I say that like you spent three minutes at each and you spent (laughs) years at each. But I've known you through several agencies over the course of our relationship. When you're an agent and you're changing agencies, what goes into that thought process of picking a new agency or deciding it's time to go? How does that play out mentally? It's a great question. There are some people who remain at one agency for 30 years and that's what works for them. And I'm one who thrives on just energy. And if the energy isn't right, you know, I've been at companies where the energy for me anyway has been one sort of energetic thing at the beginning when you start and then it evolves. And over the course of time, it evolves into something else. It sort of runs its course. And it's not like I go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to only be here for seven years or five years or or what have you. But it's an energetic thing where it reaches its natural end. And now's the time for a new beginning new beginning for me and my clients and what I can bring and do. So talk about sustainability. I think it's just, it's an energetic thing. Well, and with your roster like yours, I imagine you're getting calls from people saying, hey, we would love to have your acts on our roster and we think we might be a good home for you. I'm sure those things happen. It's an industry of that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's always changing, right? And people are always looking for new, fresh things. And so, yeah, I mean, I look back and I have amazing memories of everywhere I have been and I'm creating amazing memories now where I am. I am having a fucking blast at ICM because of what we are doing there, the people there. I mean, 
Steve Levine is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. Forget he's being, pretty punk rock. He is. He's the punk rock of comedy. But he's just not only one of the best agents, if not the best agent I've ever come across, but an incredible human being. I love the man. I have a man crush on Steve Levine. It's not only me. Everyone loves him. Everyone at ICM who work with Steve and for Steve love the man. And Rob Prince has come in and added his leadership, his energy to the mix as well. On the top end, there's Chris Silberman, Ted Chervin, Eddie Ablons. These are truly talented agents and amazing people. So again, just speaking about the energy, I've never been happier. Talking about spending 30 years, I want to be at this place 30 years because I'm telling you, this company is going to do great things and it just comes down to the people. I have a special place in my heart for ICM. Always have. Well-documented Andrea Johnson and Rick Farrell are two of my closest friends in the world. Love them both. But I think back to 89 and 93, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Skid Row, Rush, Terry Rhodes, you know, killing it. Remember when rosters used to be printed and like I see them at the silver double page roster (laughs) pamphlet with the white ink, that metallic paper, the double fold out and the lineups. And you're just like, holy shit. Look at the shit Shelly Shaw gets to book. Oh That's my right. God. Shelly would have the shit. Andy Summers, oh, Brian Greenbaum. It was amazing. ICM was the rock agency. Yeah. Doc McGee lived there, you know? <laughs> so from a kid, when I was 13 years old, I was studying the ICM roster. I was into that. Oh man, totally. When I first started in the business too, I looked at, you know, McCartney, GNR, Plant Page, all that stuff. And it's just like, you fucking kidding me? But it's but a it's new company But it's definitely come now. back to that. Like they have you, Mike Hayes, yeah. Mitch is killing it with the rap that I never thought would have existed over there. And then you go over and you see what's happening in New York, yeah. Meg White. Holy shit, man. Yeah. You guys are on fire right now. We have some truly, truly talented agents who are just inspiring to watch some of these. I mean, you know, Mitch finds Kamazi out of fucking nowhere to come up with that, right? And, you know, I tip my hat to Mitch and I fucking love that guy. And Meg White and Eve and Jackie. I mean, these are some talented individuals. I mean, it's inspiring to watch them do their thing. You know, I'm glad to be a part of a company that has people who are just on the pulse of some real shit, man. I mean, it feels good. Yeah, it seems like Steve Levine kept that company together while it was trying to find its way back, but it succeeded and succeeded in a grand fashion. And I don't know that ICM has gotten its due as one of the major six. I mean, everybody acknowledges you guys are there, but you guys have an amazing fucking roster. Hey, that's okay. You know, we're coming and people are going to know it. So if we're not getting front page headlines about this or that, or this spin or that spin or what have you, you know, we're not putting spins out. We're doing the work. We're doing the work. So that doesn't really bother me too much, but you know what? People are going to see. People are going to see because we're putting in great work and we got great agents. You guys have a full service agency. You've got the film and yeah. TV. You've got the branding, music division. You've got it all. You can bring a client in and show them the whole thing and you guys can do global touring. It's like you got Scott Mantel like yeah. covering the world. Yeah, he's a friggin' Wolverine. Now you as an agent going out and pitching clients, that's got to be an amazing thing to have in your back pocket. We have this, this, and this. Look at all of the amazing things we can offer you. Mm, For sure. You know, I can take a meeting one-on-one, right? And I can sit down with a manager or an artist and sort of lay it out for them, right? But the magic, I think, is when I put them in a room with my 10 best, right? And if I'm putting them in a room with my 10 best, I'll do 10% of the talking. I'll let my associates do it. And for the right artist, they're going to get it. They're going to get it because, you know, I truly believe these are the best in the business. You know, we have Randy Friedman and Brandon Carol Gall and Brandon Michelle Edgar, Joel Roman, who's just joined us. We have Harold Froger in privates who've just joined us in China and Nataka. I mean, we're deep. We're deep. So I don't need to do the talking. I need to do the selling, you know, for the right artist in the right room, we're going to do what no one else can do. And 
that's a good feeling. That's a great feeling to be in a place where you don't need to feel like you got to do 90% of the talking to get the deal done. You can let it happen because you have faith in the process. You can get into that entourage vibe when you see the film and TV numbers. First of all, I got to ask, as an agent, the money is really in the film and TV side. Yep. In the packaging. That's right. Coming from CAA and ICM, where you have both have backgrounds and you have seen this firsthand. It's a different world. Working in music, have you ever felt like, man, I was this close to the real money? <laughs> Every day. You know, it's funny because those businesses are still 10% businesses, right? So those packaging fees, those are 10% packaging fees. So when you package a television show and it goes and it goes to syndication, those are 10% businesses. It makes a music That's what business. keeps the lights on. And more. It's about the reruns, baby. It is, man. It is. Oh, fuck. It's gangbusters, right? And that's the gift that keeps on paying. And the music business, you know, we got to friggin' do it every day. We got to friggin' slog it every day. Yeah, we it's not friggin- like you're getting points on the album. That's right. There's no syndication in music. So, you know, we got to go out there and prove it. We got to go out there and sign the next stadium act and friggin' reinvent and invent every day. So you ever think, man, I fucked up. I should have gone to Tillman TV. Every day, every day, you know, but you know what? I'm, I'm not, you know, but the price it pays, you got to wear a suit. I don't think there's an agency in the country that would tell you what you have to wear. I think you get to a certain level where you're doing the kind of business you're doing where people are like, yeah, there's your phone. Do what yeah. you want to do. I want the Steinies wardrobe, man. I like what you're wearing. That, the 13 year old boy, like summer <laughs> camp outfit. Yeah. I'm in, man. I'm in. It's beautiful here in LA. Well, you, you got the me? ankle socks. You don't have the knee highs. So, you know, you've evolved. Well, I grew up in the 90s. So <laughs> not for me. All right. What's next for you in the industry? I mean, it keeps evolving and you are not a guy that rests on your lore. No, no, no way. You can't. So we're at an amazing time right now. So the reason why is, you know, technology is really at a special place because, okay, streaming, right? All right. But we're, we're at a really, really freaking magical time. Blockchain right? Blockchain. What is blockchain going to do? Well, blockchain has Will you take now, deposits in fucking crypto? Uh, fucking, we'll take deposits in friggin' whatever, as long as it clears. But <laughs> the, the, you know, the blockchain component, all right, so that applying now to the recorded end of the industry is super, super exciting. Now, how that's going to apply to every transaction between the artist and the fan, wow, man, that sort of opens it up, right? So we're at a really, really special time now where things are going to start opening up. Transparency, trust, right? What is blockchain mean for a fucking settlement. So all these things, right? I think it's going to reshape what we're doing. It's not going to do it overnight, but I think we're going to see it over the next five years, 10 years. What does this do now? And that's interesting to me. So you I, know, think- I laugh at that, but at the same time, I'm the guy that was still attaching a check to my contracts when I was sending it back to you guys up until January 1st of this year, before I finally let our controllers start doing the ACH. So Evolution comes to everybody in their own pace. Hey, on our end, we got to wait 10 days before a check clears, even if it's a cashier's check. So we're slowed down by the process. We all are. But you know what? That's going to change. It's going to change banking. It's going to change transactions. It's going to change. I mean, do you care? Yeah, fuck yeah. I could write you a fucking third party check and you'd take it and you wouldn't worry about it. It's a relationship business. If I fucked anyone, you'd know about it. Our industry works like that. Yes, but I'm saying the speed of which we conduct business will change. And so our relationship won't change. It'll only get better because of technology. I'm not going to have to call you and say, Steiny, where's the fucking deposit? You know, because instantly we're going to know. We can get on to the bigger things. We don't have to friggin' deal with the friggin' minutia of the deposit. Where's the, where's, we're not going to be bogged down by the slowness of the process where we can get on to booking the next 10 acts together and we're not bogged down by the process. So you think technology is just going to make things more sophisticated as far as the process goes? It's going to allow us to do our jobs better because you are a fucking expert at what you do. I'm an expert at what I do. I don't want to deal with fucking deposits. I don't want to yell, my assistant, you know, where is this deposit? You know, we're two weeks out. What? Let's get on with what we do. We won't be inhibited by those things that are currently slow and slowing us down. 
John, you're one of the biggest agents at your agency, but you're also one of the biggest agents in this town that books rock and roll. There's no question about that. When you say that blockchain is the future of the industry, I find that interesting that you're thinking that far ahead because you're clearly seeing 5, 10, 15 years down the road with that. You're not thinking next year that the industry is going to change overnight with that. You're thinking long term. You've got a different vision. I just think that's the way the world is headed, right? And I think music will be on the front end of that. The recorded end of music will be leading that charge, but it's going to affect everything that we do from a transactional perspective. So everything that we are doing from a transactional perspective is going to be more expedited. Let's talk about... Uh, your history. You're a rock guy. You know good music. You've worked with some of the biggest acts in pop throughout your career and rock. What brought you to it, man? You know, there's nothing else, man. There's nothing just like you, just like all of us. You know, there's nothing else. I wasn't going to, okay, if it wasn't going to be music, it was going to be film or TV. But you know what, man? I fucking live, breathe music and I have my entire life. That's the reason why you're doing this. Why the fuck else would we do this? So what was the first show that truly turned you on? Well, my first show ever. You know, I was 12 years old seeing uh, Cheap Trick in 1981. My dad took me and I took this girl who I had a crush on at the Sunrise Musical Theater in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And that changed my life. The sound man put on Back in Black and freaking cranked it as the warm-up music. And I'd never heard anything that loud. I'd heard Back in Black many many times but not that loud it was life-changing ufo open with michael shankner and it was just forget about it man it was just like that's it i was sold from that moment what was your first gig in the biz man my first gig on the music side i was a musician i was in a jazz band in high school played drums and semi-proficient and then went to college at university of colorado in boulder and joined the concert committee there and literally just cut my teeth being a loader production manager um monitor engineer Club 156 nice man very nice yeah very nice and from there went on to bill bass did you ever work small x small x that's right and then metal punk butthole surfers slayer megadeth and just you know circle jerks circle jerks and you know i saw him settle shows with a bottle of jägermeister on the table and i thought he was fucking crazy with crazy cat eyes but that was it man that was it i did everything security i did box office i was a loader i did spotlights i did monitors i did everything and anything and then i started managing and then promoting and then from there moved out packed my shit up when i graduated moved out to la and got a job working for jeff frasco at triad and he threw me in head first two weeks later booking tours and you know it was just great. Triad, what are we talking 92 90 were you there when william morris bought them yep frasco and i moved over to william morris in 91 and then William Morris bottom. So so we moved and then Okay. So it was all right on top of that yep. acquisition. Yep. You would be a triad well Frank Riley was there. Yeah. Right. Okay. He was running the training program when uh, when I was there. It was Geiger too, right? Geiger, yep. Yeah, awesome. it was awesome. What an man. amazing time. Fuck, man. Triad back then was just... Speaking was of everyone. those rosters, man, like the, the, I can just see it right now. You know, now. it was such a crazy place because, you know, that's when Jane's Addiction was popping, right? And, and, and not that they're not magical now, but that was a really, really special time. Nirvana was coming up. Geiger had Susie and the Banshees, Nine Inch Nails, you know, all these, you know, Was Lala. Mueller there? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was Mueller and Geiger and it was just in... I mean, fuck, it was great. It was like... Andy Summers had great metal bands. Riley had like Living Color when they were starting to peak. Just a great time. Magical time. What advice do you have for the kids coming up in the business? 
now's a great time to be coming up in the business, you know, because it's really about the live right now, right? So if you can identify, develop your sense of A&R, this is a great, great time. The live system has never been better. The club system, the ballroom system, and then, uh, you know, working your way up. I mean, what a great time to be in it. Just, you know, know what you want to do. Know what you want to do. Get your A&R ears on and be out every night. Be out every night, friggin' seeing and absorbing music, all different kinds of music, roots music, reggae music, punk music, metal, industrial, just absorb it all. Absorb it all. And by the way, if you want to go see Justin Timberlake or Beyonce to see the big production, go do that. But you know what? Cut your teeth and go see the next Beyonce. Go see the next JT and the next Jack White. Just be out every night. Ladies and gentlemen, John Pleader. Dan Steiny, so I fucking love you, man. It's fun. Pleader is just killing it right now. This interview was just a joy to record. And he certainly seemed to be amped to be on the podcast. One of the more energetic interviews we've done in a long time. Hi, this is John Schur from Metropolitan Entertainment Consultants, Promoter 101. Tweets of the week. Tweets of the week. We can't avoid it. It's the name of the show. We got to talk about it. Let's see what was going down on Twitter with Dan this week. Slow news tweets. Start here. When you see a tour announced that you are sure is going to stiff. You just can't stop bad tours from happening. There are agents out there with crap to sell and they're going to cost people money. You just can't do anything about it. Just hopefully you don't get any on you, you know? Yeah. When a venue posts their season and you've never heard of any other headliners on their series. Sometimes it's so clear. It takes a gift to program or buy for a series. This is a talent that not all have. That'll do it for Promoter 101 Tweets of the Week. You can follow Dan on Twitter. He is at the Jew. Please don't follow too closely. Don't stand so. Don't stand so. Hey, what's going on? This is Bubbles. This is Julian. This is Ricky. You're listening to Promoter 101. (laughs) This week, we've got a war story from APA's Noelle Largest. Noelle, hook us up. The mind of APA. What's going on? Well, this comes back to the agency group days, but I was really trying to think long and hard about a war story to tell. And I was thinking, I work in the theater world. Maybe my war stories aren't nearly as sexy as some of the... I was listening to the one with Bruce Springsteen cutting it and having to parade through the streets. Oh, and, Pope. Yeah, no, I was just like, I can't hold a candle to that. Not nearly. <laughs> but we were in the new office. So I was working for Andrea at the time and Steve Martin had Ray Davies in and he was in for meetings or whatever it was. And he came around the corner and he was just sort of like it was right before they did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where. It was Metallica Metallica doing all the songs of the Kinks, which was the coolest thing I've ever seen or, you know, way, way up there on my list. But it was right around that time. So I had seen that show or was about to go to that show and was really excited. And then Ray sort of just came around the corner and was a little flustered. And I just said, is there something I can help you with? And he said, yeah, I need a bin. I need a bin. And I was like, bin, bin. Oh, I studied abroad in the UK. Bin means trash means rubbish, garbage. But it took me a minute to process like his little slang. And he said, I need a bin. And I said, oh, if you have something, I can just take it. And he literally just opened his mouth and spit his gum into my hand. (laughs) So I just, I mean, what do you do? (laughs) You eBay that because that's Ray Davies. He's a rock and roll Hall of Fame star from the Kings. And my little bit of starstruckness, I think, made it less gross. But did you throw it in your mouth and keep chewing it? Ew, no. (laughs) I threw it in the bin as instructed. But yeah, that's my. You eBayed that and made rent. Yeah. Ray Davies. I made a big mistake. (laughs) It could be in a little glass case in my house instead, but the gum you really want me. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Noel. This one's kind of kinky, but I like it. I like it a lot. 
This is Alex Hodges with Needlelander Concerts, and I'm here with Promoter 101. And for our final interview this week, we're joined by Live Nation Belgians and man with my most favorite name in the music business, Herman Shermans. He's simply one of the biggest players in Europe. He's here to drop some knowledge. I'm the king of Belgium. Sherman, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. You really do the biggest possible acts that play your market. You work with Global Touring for Live Nation and you handle the local stuff too. You play on all levels, arenas, stadiums, theaters, clubs, you do it all. We started 40 years ago with little bands and grew up with those little bands. Talking Heads, uh, The Ramones, Simple Minds, U2, Dire Straits and all of them. And the key at the time being a little promoter was, you know, just grow up with your bands, make sure you can follow them, make sure you can deliver at every level. And that's what we did. You know, we moved as a club festival promoter. We made moves as we were in Belgium 42, 43 years ago, and there weren't any production companies. We started up EML, which was a BN light company. And we started up Stageco. In those days, you know, a little stage at Rock Worker, and that's where Stageco came out. And I think I can claim now that Stageco is like the carrier of all big artists all over the world of the Louis XIV's of today. Massive company. At one point, you guys sold to Live Nation and took a deal. You went from being an indie. How did that come about? You know, I think it was 2000, 2001. And suddenly a lot of people in Europe were contacted. And, you know, they were asked, are you ready to come and play in Premier League? <laughs> like in football. And of course, we all had the same questions, etc., etc., etc. Some people moved in 2000. We only moved in 2001. And, you know, although we had a lot of questions... We went for it, tried to make the best out of it, and I'm still there. And the reason why I'm still there is because I still like what I'm doing. They give me the absolute freedom to do what I think is right as a promoter, as an indoor and stadium promoter, as a festival promoter, etc., etc., etc. So, uh, you know, you compared me to the King of Belgium, <laughs> perhaps it's true. <laughs> but it's in a way of independence saying... I can do what I want. In fact, Rubino is a fantastic guy. He's a smart guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I prefer to work with clever people instead of with uh, dummies. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Nobody wants to work with dummies. So, Herman, are you a partner with Live Nation or did you sell the whole company or did you sell part of the company? Some of the pieces were sold straight away. Some other pieces were sold in, in a section or in, how do you say that in English? You sell them later as time went on? Correct. So do they own the whole company now? And they now own the whole company, yeah. It's partly due to the fact that in Belgium there are like very difficult tax rules. I think Belgians are together with the Swedish the most highly taxed up to 54%. And when you sell a company in Belgium, that's one of the things where they still don't charge you a lot of taxes on. So it was a bit of an opportunity. But in the meantime, it's a little bit down due to the stupidity of Belgian government not encouraging entrepreneurs. So you were an entrepreneur, you were an independent promoter. How did life change when you went from being your own boss to being part of a major corporation? To be honest, nothing changed. I have my way of working. I have a fantastic team. I think we think very independent. You know, we still work as an entrepreneur. I want to give the best service to the artists and their crews. And we want to give the best service to the audience. We take the audience serious and we do it our way. And it's good to see that some of the colleagues at uh, Life Nation in Europe and in America, I would not say copy us, but learn from us. And that's quite a fantastic feel. Look, it's simple. If I didn't like it, 
I would have gone. Let me put it this way. I've taken risk in my whole life and it's part of my DNA. At a certain moment you sell, but you keep the same spirit. You know, you still do what you want to do. You do it with a lot of passion. You're still eager to make a profit, but you don't put your head on stake anymore. Although I'm a workaholic, I'm a passionate promoter, especially a festival promoter, I do realize very well that there are other things in life. And in this business, we all work and work and work, do what we want to do. But in the meantime, life goes on or life passes. And I have other passions. I'm into Greek and Roman art. I'm into the Impressionists and the Fauvists and the Expressionists. We've set up different things, for example, at Rockwerchter. We have the wristbands where youngsters don't go to museums, unfortunately. It's a big shame. It costs a lot of money to the society and museums should be there, but a lot more people should visit it. So what did we do X years ago? We invited all youngsters who had a wristband of Rockwerchter to go and visit the museum, the key museum in Belgium. 10,000 people did that. The year after, we extended it to a museum also in the north of France and in Holland. 12,000 people went. The year after, close to 14,000 people used that opportunity. And the idea is, when you're young, you're open to a certain form of art. It's music. So that is the moment to open youngsters' view to other forms of art. The following year, the fourth year, we set up an exhibition and that was called It's Not Only Rock and Roll Baby. We invited all artists that played at Rockwerchter and they said, are you into other forms of art? Do you paint? Are you a sculptor? Etc. Etc. And all artists that played Rockwerchter, or most of them, but also a lot of others who heard about it, came in with some works. So you basically did a gallery, huh? It's fantastic. Oh, it's cool. And again, it happened in June, July, August, when the museum were even more empty than empty. And close to 100,000 youngsters visited the exhibition. So all those things excite me. Let me ask you about the Live Nation deal. When you were as an independent and then had teamed up with them, that new partnership or sale, did that bring extra business in? Where Did Live Nation increase the volume of business and raise the profit of what you were doing and give you extra opportunities? Belgium being a small country has also a lot of advantages. It means that you can touch the bands from when they are small, when they are baby bands, and by putting them at the right club and at the right spot, at the right festival, being Rockwerchter, being Puckle Pop, you know, you managed to build up something. And in a lot of cases, those bands were bigger in Belgium as in a lot of other bigger countries. So we were like, uh, what do you call it? An emerging market? No, not an emerging market. A test market, yeah? Yeah, but you were active, right? People in your market came to ship, so it was a very good market. Yeah, but uh, you know, you most probably have to do something right to activate the people. So I think we did. So in fact, we had already most of those bands in the days and we grew up with them and we kept a working relationship with them. But yes, Life Nation brought also some business, especially in the, in the more recent years in the urban field, in the hip-hop field, etc., etc., etc. You know, the challenging thing, in, I think, in this business is that, one, you can speak to people and deal with people all over the world. Two, younger people can hopefully learn something from us, and I can definitely learn something from younger people, and that excites me. You're only as good as your last show. You know, I think it's always good at the end of the day to say, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What did I learn today? And in general... It feels well. You've been promoting for a long time. You've come up with a lot of legendary acts. 
of the bands that you've gotten to work with and see, who's your favorite? What was the best experience? Oh, that's so difficult. There are too many fantastic experiences. It doesn't have to be one. Give me a couple. There's the example of acts, for example, U2, for the, when they played the first time at Rock Werchter, they discovered while playing at Torhut and Werchter in the days that they were able to appeal to a big and wider audience. They realized that they could become a stadium band. And for example, Bono keeps saying that, you know, that's fantastic. We have a very good relationship with Metallica, with R.E.M., Quite a lot of bands kept playing Rock Werchter. When Lars and the guys of Metallica tell you, hey, playing Werchter is like coming home, that's great. And I know that a lot of artists say to the audience, hey, you're the best audience, etc., etc. But the guys of Metallica are smart people. Michael Stipe and, and the R.E.M., lovely people. They prove it by keep on playing Rock Werchter. They start there as a baby band, they are well received. We give them a state-of-the-art production. We take care of them backstage. They can enjoy the fantastic Belgian food and beers and wine and international wines. But they keep coming back. So they come back as a middle act, they come back as a headliner, and then they keep doing that. Isn't that fantastic? I think Metallica played it six times already. R.E.M. played it five times. The Foo Fighters played it four times. Depeche Mode played it uh, a couple of times. There's nothing wrong by doing that because sometimes people say, oh, you always have the same headliners. They're great. They are fantastic. We show loyalty over the years to them by helping them, especially when they were a baby band, to build careers. Isn't it fantastic that they also show loyalty and that they do it? They not only talk about it, they do it. There are some more examples, Muse, you know, etc., etc., etc. Sounds like you still enjoy your job. I definitely do. What's your favorite part of the process? The most exciting of all things is creating a festival. A festival is something that you know, it's like a tree. You have to make sure that you plant it in good soil, that you water it, that you tailor it. And I think festivals are all about evolution and not revolution. You know, you can't force things. Build it slowly but steadily. When you build it slowly, you anticipate on making mistakes. You will be confronted with small mistakes that you can learn. And you can adjust. And you can adjust. I don't believe in situations where you have one or another rich kid with a big piece of land that suddenly decides that he should copy successful festivals. And of course, agents sell acts to them, but in general, it always goes wrong because they don't have the history. Well, it's the expertise, right? Correct. Thousands of people. There's a lot of security and detail working with absolutely the municipality to set up traffic flow and make sure the police are involved and the city is ready to take on all these people coming Abs in absolutely and also towards the people you have to work with in the village or in the city where you organize your festival when you start small they see that that you know things can go smoothly they see that you know you involve the local football club the local boys goods club the local uh, basketball club a woman club etc etc and they all do jobs at the festival and the festival becomes part of them they become part of the festival and they see it as their own child and it grows and it grows and then when they travel they are in new york or in la and they see youngsters walking uh, with a t-shirt of metallica or of the foo fighters and they see all the big cities of the world on it and work there 
You can imagine how proud those people are. In fact, all the Belgians are proud of Rock Werchter. All Belgians over the last 43 years came a lot of times to either Rock Werchter or to the Werchter Classic or to the Werchter Boutique. It's part of their lives. Everybody, not only in Belgium, also in Holland and in a lot of countries around Belgium and Holland, know where Rock Werchter is. Now, perhaps I'm exaggerating, but perhaps I'm not. It's quite a magic and mythic place, a little bit like Glastonbury, but Glastonbury it's more hippie time and I have a lot of respect for Glastonbury, but there it's all mud and love and peace. <laughs> and our festival, it's love and peace with a decent organization. And it was one of those things at the time, long time ago, when I went to festivals as a punter, I went to the Jazz Bilsen Festival in Belgium. and. I saw a lot of things going wrong there. Uh, security was done by Hells Angels. Uh, they announced bands that didn't show up. And I know that in those days, some bands, you know, when you drunk too much the night before that you could miss a show. But they weren't professionals. They announced the act before they had a confirmation. Don't do that. It also takes away your bargaining power with the agent. Exactly. But anyway, so I offered those people, can I join the board of the festival? And they turned me down. And that's the best to, way to motivate me. So I started my own festival. You can't join them? Beat them. Uh, it's not about beating. The key was, I'll show that I can do it better. And you did. Much better. But of course, every festival has its own DNA, has its own speciality. And the key is not to copy each other. The key is to take the good things out of it and perhaps copy those. So be inspired by it, but don't steal it. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk to me on Promoter 101. Pleasure. So clear to see that Herman is the Bill Graham of Belgium. Nobody can question that. God damn, he's inspiring. Just loves his job and you can just tell. So great that he came on the podcast. What a win for us. I'm Johnny Fairplay on Promoter 101, and I wouldn't lie about that. Dan, we're celebrating some birthdays this week, July 6th to the 12th, 2018. You know what? Let's take it back. The podcast comes out on the 5th, and I know we did it last week, but it's so important that we all acknowledge that it's Andrea Johnson's birthday on the 5th. So happy birthday to Andrea again. And on the 6th, ICM's Meg White and Michael Huskin. If you haven't gone on Andrea's Facebook page to wish her a happy birthday yet, please make sure you do so. That's Andrea Johnson at ICM Partners. And you know who else's birthday it is today, too, Dan, is Donnie fucking Reese. We realized that they both went to the same college, Miami of Ohio, right? At the same time. They, like, overlapped, but yet they didn't know each other. Which is crazy. But now through the wisdom that is straight no chaser, they have become close friends, as have all of us. So the genius of the power of acapella. Acapella, acapella did this. Did this. <laughs> Trademark Tyler Trepp. We have to pay royalties out on and every time they say that. As I said, Meg White from ICM Partners on this Friday and Michael Husking. On Saturday, we're wishing a happy birthday to Eric Bice, Brendan Hoffman, and Kristen Brooks. Sunday, industry icon Bob Zevers. On Monday, wishing a happy birthday to producer, Grammy-winning extraordinaire Dave Cobb. He really is amazing, Dave. Anything he touches, it's just like, Ba-bam! If you could buy stock in Dave Cop, you should do that. That's going to be some great futures right there. Unfortunately, you can't do that. But you can follow him and buy the acts that he produces, and that's how you make money. Tuesday, <laughs> July 10, Troy Skubitz from the beautiful Benaroya Hall in Seattle, Washington, and the heart of Minneapolis production extraordinaire, the lovely Kim King, and known to her friends as KK. On Wednesday, wishing a happy birthday to the Tacoma Domes, Kim Bedeer, Strato Chasers, Steve Morgan, Nick Fox, Sully Sullivan and Dave Tamaroff. Thursday, July 12th, Emporium's own Rich Sellers, Ian Atkins, and Edie brought from the world famous Key Arena. 
Happy birthday to all of you from the gang here at Promoter 101. What colors are your street gangs, Luke? Something obnoxious. Like a checkerboard plaid and khakis? Everyone's got to have alligator shoes. Remember that, Dan. The boat shoes backed by popular demand from Luke Pierce. <laughs> it, it is Sperry season. Let's be serious. You know, if Connor had a gang, it would be in high dye. Winkle J. Moose on Promoter 101. Now here's something you'll really like. That'll do it. Episode 90, Promoter 101 the books. Thank you to everybody tuning in, and thank you to our amazing guests that we had on the podcast this week. ICM Partners, John Pleader, Live Nation Belgians, Herman Shermans, Noel Largest. Thank you so much. Send us some feedback about this podcast. Hit us with an email. We're at steiny at promoter101.net. Hey, the quote of the week comes to us from uh, The Who's own Pete Townsend. I'm not writing songs about me. I'm writing songs about you. A little airy, isn't it? It really is. We're going to be back next week. Same pod time, same pod place. The brand new episode of Promoter 101. That'll be episode 91 featuring Denmark's beatbox entertainment, Mad Sorison. Plus, got a special sit down with Home Free. Joining us as they uh, talk about our interactions between management, business management, and touring operations. A little conversation we had backstage a couple weeks ago with Dan and I. It's important to know, by the way, since Pete Townsend is the quote of the week, Luke fell asleep during a Who concert <laughs> at Caesars Palace last year, which Almost I didn't like, think anyone oh. could ever fucking do. And it wasn't like we were close <laughs> to the stacks. They, we literally couldn't have been any fucking closer to those things. But somehow at a Who concert, possibly the loudest band in the fucking world, Luke Pierce somehow fell asleep in the concert. <laughs> and it wasn't because they weren't good, because I'm here to tell you, they fucking killed that night. The parts that I was awake for, they did kill. I had burned it on about four different ends in Las Vegas uh, for about two days straight at that point, and was very tired after a big dinner and definitely fell asleep. I'm sure there's a picture of me wearing a shark shirt fully asleep that Jeff White took that'll surface somewhere on the internet, I'm sure. Well, hey, before we go, I know a lot of you guys have sent some emails about what else is coming up. We always give you what's next week, and I want to give you guys a little taste of some of the cool things coming up. Bobby Reynolds will be on the podcast from AEG Vegas, which will be exciting. Home Free is going to drop by and talk to us about their working relationship with their manager, W. Luke Pierce, as well as their production team. Also, Mark Norman from AEG Global will be here. We've got the guys from Milwaukee in the house from Summerfest. They'll be talking to us, the three big buyers from that company, Vic, Bob, and Scott, will all be here sitting down with us talking music, as well as Alec Hodges, the legend from Nederlander Concerts. We're going to have... Also from Milwaukee, the guys that run the Paps, Turner Hall, and the Riverside, Matt, Gary, and Mark will all stop by and talk to us as well. Martin Hopewell is going to talk to us about putting together ILMC. Nilla Large is going to do a full interview. Finally, we've been hyping that one for a minute. We've got Skip Richmond from Tedeschi Trucks joining us as well. Plus, we're going to have that full panel from IAVM with Riley O'Connor and Ralph James and Jason Zink and Brian Hill all coming at you on the podcast in the upcoming couple of months. So I know you're thinking, hey, these guys have got to be running out of interviews sometime soon, running out of industry. But I think we're only getting started and we got some of the best people in the industry coming up for you. Big month ahead. Stay tuned and thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe to Promoter 101 wherever you podcast. Thank you, every one of you. And we're wishing you sold out shows for the week to come. Cheers. Cheers, motherfuckers. Hi, this is Heath Miller. Becca Leifer. Ed Mike Cohn. Derek Dimonstein. Jason Kupperman. Jason Miller. John Schur. Marsha Flasik. Mike Fruitman. Ricardo Baco. Peter Schwartz. Nick Storch. I'm on Promoter 101. Promoter 101. I'm on Promoter 101. 
Hey, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you all for listening and welcome you to the funkiest podcast known to man. It's episode 90, and we're turning up the heat, so turn your stereo loud and take a seat because I got a couple people that I'd like for you to meet. We got W. Luke Pierce, a man with proper style, always rocking fresh shoes made of crocodile. When he hops on the mic, he's guaranteed to make you smile, but he don't got the yamaka because he's a gentile. Unlike our next host, he's the man with the most, always asking the tough questions, not afraid to roast. So catch him on the Twitter, man, he's at the Jew. Everybody calls him Steiny Man, but you already knew, right? Everything you need right here on Promoter 101. It's episode 90 with Luke and Steiny. <laughs> <laughs>